and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello and welcome to another podcast, the Corning Lid Legal Chatter Podcast. I'm, I'm here virtually with Eustacia Yates, though we are recording um, by way of Zoom. We're definitely not in the same room as each other, um, implementing good social distancing measures and all of that. How are you going, Eustacia? Hi, James. Thanks for having me. It is strange to be doing this um, remotely, but I think it's something we'll all have to get used to and uh, adjust to. Yes, certainly, Yusesha. Last week, I did one with Barry Klopper and Heilala Tabete. And uh, Barry and I were in separate office rooms and Heilala was um, at home. And so it was our first foray into this uh, recording remotely. Um, But it looks like it could be something that we'll have to be doing uh, for a period of time. Eustacia, you're a family lawyer, and um, I think family law has been one of those um, areas of law that has been quite interestingly affected um, Mm. by COVID-19. I say interesting from a couple of perspectives. Uh, One, it seems that the court system has almost grinded to a bit of a standstill. So a lot of clients who were looking to court for some relief or some direction um, have had uh, court mentions or um, other court-related dates being pushed back, mm-hmm. um, coupled together with uh, not every law firm out there has been able to respond as quickly to the COVID-19 measures, uh, mm-hmm. COVID-19 pandemic by implementing um, uh, work-from-home policies and being able to respond quickly, uh, mm-hmm. coupled with, again, um, the varying nature of responses that are being um, implemented by governments in, um, within different states in Australia and also um, overseas. I think last week I sent an email to um, a, a practice in New Zealand um, who was supposed to be assisting us with the implementation of some family court orders, and I got an out-of message saying that they're now in quarantine. Don't expect a message effectively for two weeks. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so uh, it's interesting times. And then, of course, we've got the incredibly sad news that we've been reading in the news about um, the impact social distancing and social isolation is having on the families that are stuck, already stuck in a difficult um, and uh, potentially domestic violence environment uh, to continue to be stuck in there without uh, much of an opportunity to be able to um, try and find um, some a way of exiting all that. Mm-hmm. So, Eustacia, I think we've got plenty to talk about um, yes. this, in this session. Um, but look, why don't why don't you um, why don't we kick it off with you telling me some of the interesting things that you've seen, some of the interesting issues that you've run across over mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. I think everybody's struggling to make the adjustment Uh, and that goes right from the individuals through to the uh, government and the businesses and the large-scale operations. Uh, Everyone is having to make adjustments. Everyone is having to think through 
and revisit even the most basic of their routines and practices. And I think it's a challenge. Um, and I think that the ripple effects um, go on and on. Um, certainly for the courts, I know that everyone in the system there is actually really struggling to do their best. Um, I think actually the courts have um, implemented some safe procedures. Um, unfortunately, it does mean things are taking a little longer to get through than perhaps they might have otherwise. Um, but again, this is just one of those adjustments we all have to make. Um, in relation to um, clients who are being affected by um, this COVID-19 crisis, we're certainly seeing a lot of different kinds of impacts. Um, we've been getting questions around um, what to do on a practical level about implementing parenting orders, for example. Uh, questions around, uh, if I am living interstate, do I need to um, comply with orders to send the children back for visits to the other parent when the borders are closed, for example, the state borders? Um, what happens in circumstances where uh, parties are self-isolating? Uh, do they need to send the children to contact, um, even if it's just down the road? And so there are lots of questions. Of course, for people who are in the midst of a property settlement, the um, implications are different again. Um, we're seeing, you know, drops in values of shares and properties, um, and this is impacting in a very short space of time um, the agreements that people have reached. Um, and whereas two weeks ago it might have been a 50-50 split, um, given the nature of the changing values, um, that split may no longer be 50-50 in a, in, a, in a global sense. So we're certainly seeing lots of different impacts uh, and lots of different um, ways that people are coping with this crisis. Absolutely, Eustacia. Um, I really like what you said there about um, the difficulty parents are having in relation to um, complying with orders. Um, certainly things such as basic things which were ordinary a couple of weeks ago are now extraordinary. Um, changeovers are now, um, uh, uh, questions are being asked around how should we approach changeovers. Questions are being asked about whether it's correct or appropriate or wise to send your child to school. And so um, it's, you know, I think uh, it's, it's a real shifting uh, beast at the moment. Um, it is. Of, and, yeah. and you never quite know um, what it's going to look like um, the day after um, Mr. Morrison, for example, delivers a press conference. Mm -hmm. um, that's right. It's a very much changing landscape. That's right. Um, I think quite a lot of the correspondence that I've been receiving from um, the family courts or the, um, or the other associations that uh, assist in this space, um, quite a number of those publications are encouraging parties to uh, try and find ways to be reasonable in mm. circumstances where um, it, it seems as though the world itself and is taking quite an unreasonable turn. Um, can you speak to that, Eustacia? Yes, certainly. Uh, so the advice that has been um, provided to practitioners is that where possible, parties should continue to try and comply with the orders, um, parenting orders. Um, but of course, there needs to be consideration given to what is safe and what is practical. Um, it's a very practical jurisdiction. 
um, the family jurisdiction. And there may be circumstances when uh, it is not um, it is not practical to do it. Um, but the first step, what is always going to be um, to take make an effort. Sorry to. Uh, engage with the other parent, open a conversation around how um, we're going to handle this, um, what decisions need to be made and, you know, to take a, a position, I guess, or a, an attitude that, yeah, this is really not people um, being obstructive out of spite or hurt or some of the things that might usually accompany family proceedings but these are truly extraordinary days and it's really important that they um, approach those conversations with the intent and the um, desire to be solution focused child focused and um, take a reasonable position about what is safe and what is practical in the circumstances mm, absolutely Stacia. and uh, you mentioned a bit earlier about um, the changing landscape as well from pro family law separation property matters mm. uh, with property prices for example being forecasted by the media uh, to take a bit of a nosedive shares um, to be uh, to take a bit of a nosedive and um, quite across the board uh, increasing unemployment um, and uh, changing mm. future needs from the perspective of uh, parties who may be who have may previously perhaps been gaining, uh, enjoying gainful employment as a pilot, now no longer being able to, uh, now no longer having the same certainty as they used to have. Mm. Um, how do you think this, um, and this is a bit of a difficult question, I, I appreciate, uh, but for parties that are going through a settlement process and perhaps making progress um, a couple of weeks ago and getting close, uh, what what can you say to those clients um, who may now find um, everything all of a sudden reopened um, mm. with no certainty of what um, what a just and equitable agreement looks like? Yes, yes. It's just a really difficult question at this time. Um, and all I can say is it's probably very important to stay in touch with your financial advisors uh, as well as your lawyers um, to sort of keep track of the changing situation and perhaps the changing values. Um, certainly, if parties are not subject to a limitation period, um, then th it may be that they can agree to, um, on the advice of their lawyer and their um, financial advisor, to put negotiations on hold. Um, alternatively, the advice might be to try and settle the matter as quickly as possible. So things can certainly go either way, but I would be very much staying in touch with your advisors at this point. Mm, that's right. And certainly from the court's perspective, Eustacia, I'm sure you're seeing as I am that uh, a lot of matters which are classed as not urgent, and I presume um, the majority of property matters at this juncture would be classed as not urgent. Um, parties are unlikely, I think, to, um, to get a quick result from the court. Is that your view as well? It is my view. Uh, it, when people are going through a property settlement or a parenting matter, but particularly um, property settlements, it, it can be very um, emotional and people often feel that uh, their matter is urgent and it's important. Um, but, of course, the courts uh, are looking at the full spectrum of matters. Um, and whilst it is very important to the parties that are involved, and it is, uh, it's may just fall within the band of um, 
what's typical or what's um, commonly experienced by people um, and in that sense is not considered urgent by the court. Mm. So um, people may experience a sense of frustration um, and disappointment that their matter has not been given perhaps um, the attention um, or the priority that they feel it deserves. Um, but again, this is one of those things where um, it's best to take a pragmatic and commercial view uh, and to work within the constraints that exist. I mean, we all live within constraints um, and we all have to make adjustments to our behaviour and our choices um, in the face of circumstances that are beyond our control. Mm -hmm. And at a time when it's already very emotional and difficult, um, I think it's probably helpful for people to, in conjunction with their advisors, um, their financial and legal advisors, to explore the possibility of, of making a um, pragmatic decision um, at this time. Mm, absolutely. And what about the, um, the group of clients out there who may be um, coming up close to limitation dates or um, other dates which may apply under the orders but are finding difficulty with being able to comply with all of them um, mm. in, the risk, uh, in, in the midst of uh, everything that's happening at the moment? Um, yeah. Do you have any words of comfort or just general recommendations for them? Apart, um, bearing in mind, of course, they should obviously go and see their professional advisors. But um. <laughs> talk to your lawyer. <laughs> um, look, it, it is very much a case by case situation. In circumstances where people are implementing existing orders um, to an ordered time frame, there may be possibility um, for the agreement with the agreement of everyone involved to. Um, uh, vary those orders um, by by agreement um, and similarly with parenting orders um, but again it's very much a case-by-case -case basis and you should definitely talk to your lawyer absolutely now I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, an issue that's a bit close to my heart um, uh, and, and so, certainly something that is deserving of our serious attention as we um, as the government continues to roll out um, stricter social isolation and social distancing measures. Um, and that's a topic of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. uh, I was watching um, Scott Morrison's press conference yesterday and he was referring to statistics um, where there had been an increased uh, number of um, uh, searches on Google for um, domestic violence related issues. Um, unsurprising, uh, in mm. my view, because yes. of the increased extent in which um, parents are, well, parents and uh, par uh, partners are being required to both work from home, uh, perhaps uh, not just work from home, but perhaps they've been laid off from a job, perhaps they've um, uh, uh, they're seeing more of each other at home, perhaps the kids are also at home. So um, it's a bit of a cocktail of. Uh, a bit of a perfect storm of mm. difficult circumstances, difficult situations which are being faced by many households around mm. Australia. So I wasn't surprised to hear that the statistic um, uh, uh, or the number of searches have increased. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what are your, some of your thoughts on that, Eustacia? Again, it's sad to say, but it is not surprising. Um, people who are vulnerable to um, experiencing violence um, are going to have that vulnerability increased in circumstances where there is pressure in the household, um, whether that's born from financial pressure of someone losing their job 
And of course, there are all kinds of pressures um, that people are facing at the moment. Um, being in close quarters, um, parents having an added pressure of um, overseeing their children's education from home. Um, there are increased financial pressures. Um, perhaps, for example, uh, one family has um, a partner who has lost their job and the children from the first relationship are living full-time with them. Um, not only does that mean that um, there's less income coming into the house, it might be the case, for example, that um, children are spending more time with that parent and as a consequence they have more mouths to feed for a longer period. So there can be all kinds of um, implications and pressures that are on, on families at this time and anyone who works in the field will tell you that um, when there's increased pressure, unfortunately there's a correlation with increased incidence of domestic violence. Absolutely. I was really happy to see that the government was increasing funding for um, domestic violence associated uh, services, um, sorry, domestic violence response um, services um, and support services. And, and, uh, and I think that's a real positive step uh, into supporting mm. um, families in this difficult time. Yes. Um, I think it's important as well for uh, people to continue to be safe, even if they are socially distant um, and, and having to um, um, uh, stay at in home and stay indoors. Uh, there mm. still is um, a need for people to be safe because not all homes um, in Australia are safe. So that's mm. very good. Um, the other impact that we're seeing talked quite a bit as well, and I appreciate that you and I, Eustacia, are lawyers and not counsellors, but um, the need for, um, uh, for people to and continue to um, take care of their mental health because of mm. the increased pressures on mental health in this difficult time. Um, Eustacia, as part of your Family Tree Project, uh, where mm. you look at the client um, holistically, uh, one piece of that puzzle was to ensure that um, uh, the clients that we look out for uh, are encouraged to participate in a form of counselling that helps them to, um, uh, to use Scott Morrison's phrase, build a bridge and get over the, uh, get over the difficult season um, into the new season. Uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about, in your view, um, the role counselling has to play uh, at this difficult time? Yes, certainly. Well, it's no surprise, of course, that we are whole creatures made up of many parts. And when one part is affected, the other parts are as well. Um, going through family separation uh, or a property settlement or a parenting dispute or a, a domestic violence proceeding, any of these things are extremely stressful. Um, and if you add in circumstances of um, social isolation and perhaps financial pressure, um, it can it can be a lot for people to be dealing with. Um, I really feel for people who are going through um, family separation at this time. Um, it's it's enough by itself, um, but to be dealing with the pressures that we're all dealing with with COVID nineteen is is extraordinary. So, I think part of the um, way that we can help ourselves and help our clients is to um, accept the fact that we are. Um, whole creatures and so we bring our emotions and our pressures and our um, circumstances to the decisions that we make um, in the legal field um, so for that reason I always encourage my clients to seek counselling because um, 
I think it both just helps them um, on a personal level, but also um, helps strengthen them to make decisions that are good for them um, when giving the instructions in their legal proceedings. Um, so the way we do it at Corny Lind is to partner with an organisation called um, Tell Somebody Who Cares Therapies. I love that <laughs> and, name. It's a great yeah. name. <laughs> uh, and you can access um, their services directly through their website. Uh, of, but there is also an intake form on our website, the Corny Lind website. Um, if you go to that link and fill out the intake form and submit it, the form goes directly to the counsellor at uh, the therapy, uh, tell someone who cares therapies, and we don't even see the form. So it goes directly to her and um, we wouldn't even know that they have made an appointment. So it's a confidential process um, and at this stage um, people can contact their GPs uh, and get a mental health plan uh, and they can be reimbursed in that way um, to help cover the costs of that service. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, you station quite a number of the people who listen, who would be listening to this podcast um, would probably be pastors. Mm. Um, do you have uh, any words for them? Um, because they've got their work cut out for them at the moment uh, with uh, people um, having to deal with isolation issues, distress, mental health issues, and needing mm. counseling. Um, mm. I am sure that that they'll all probably also be uh, approached by members of the congregation who uh, may be coming to them with families in distress as well. Mm. Um, do you have any words for them if they're listening to the podcast at the moment? Yes. Uh, three steps. Very simple. First of all, safety first. Um, as a, what is effectively a first aid responder, um, as a pastor or perhaps a a um, pastoral care worker in the church, um, you're often confronted with um, stories and um, declarations of things that have happened and sometimes it can be quite confronting and you're not quite sure how to move forward and deal with that disclosure. So the first um, thing I would say is safety's first, um, making sure that there are appropriate risk management protocols in place for their staff and their members in their church activities. Um, of course, it's just quite tricky at this point um, because we have a, a moving landscape, um, a changing landscape, um, and that can those protocols might need to be reviewed on a weekly or even uh, daily basis. Um, and certainly I know that our firm can assist with that. Um, if there are discoveries or disclosures at this time about family violence in any of the relationships, um, I think the most important thing is um, to believe believe them, believe the person who's making the disclosure. Um, we know from statistics that the majority of those who make a disclosure or do, uh, sorry, do make a report about domestic and family violence will only do so once. And if they do report again, um, it's likely to be a very long, long time period between reports. Um, false reporting is believed to be around the 2% mark. So it's actually um, a bit of a, an urban myth that people will, and particularly women, will just make domestic violence claims in order to gain the upper hand in parenting matters or something like that. Um, that's just not borne out by the statistics. Um, so it's important to believe them. Uh, and it's important, I think, for pastors particularly to be aware um, that it is not their role to give legal advice. 
um, and that would include advising people, for example, to um, withdraw applications for a protection order or advising them to return home if they have fled, um, even in the current climate. Um, it's really important that pastors understand that where someone has a protection order in place, um, that they should be very wary of acting as an intermediary. Uh, if someone breaches a protection order, um, that's actually a criminal act. And so the last thing they would want is to be complicit in that criminal act. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's really important. So the first step is to um, put safety first. The second step then would be to offer any practical help that can be provided. Um, that's going to be difficult in the current climate. Um, but I've already seen examples of churches um, who are making arrangements um, to have people that are checking in on other people on a regular basis, um, just as part of their normal routine. So, for example, I know of one church where home groups are being asked to take responsibility for looking after the needs of the people in that group by way of texts and emails and phone calls uh, and where it's safe and appropriate to do so, um, to be dropping food around to people who are in need, um, of course, doing, doing the knock and drop, I think we're calling it, um, without <laughs> actually going into the house. So um, it, it's that practical um, assistance that may make all the difference because it might be the opportunity that someone has to um, convey that they're not safe. Um, and it might be appropriate for people who are listening to, to um, set up, if they are aware of a situation, uh, a, a code text phrase, if you like, so that if they receive a text that says a particular phrase, and it might be quite benign to anyone who's reading it, but of course it's understood between them that um, that means that they need urgent assistance. And the third step then will be referrals. Um, there are still lots and lots of um, community organisations who are operating remotely. Um, DV Connect is a good one. Um, Men's Healthline is another. Uh, and certainly, um, if people would like to get in contact with me after this, I can provide a list. Um, we're doing what we can to make sure our records are up to date um, in terms of who's still operating and who's who's on hold for the minute. Um, but you know, at this time, people are going to need information about um, what counselling services are available, how they can access their um, telehealth appointments. Um, perhaps there's a need for emergency food relief. And it would be good if pastors had a list of all these kinds of services on hand that they can refer people to at this time. So I think the three steps, safety first, practical help, refer, refer, refer. <laughs> Absolutely. That's wonderful, Eustacia. Um, Eustacia, that's probably all the time uh, we have left for today, but thank you very much for uh, taking this section out of your day uh, to be able to chat with me and uh, hopefully get some content out there which will be able to help the wider community um, and particularly the families in crisis uh, as we deal with uh, just what, what's been called an unprecedented uh, season. So, thank thank you. you for having me. Thanks, Eustacia. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. 
If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 07-3252-0011 or go to www.cornianlind.com.au forward slash contact.